Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Joining us here to start hour number two, we know him from Fansided.com, their lead NFL writer, Matt Verderam, joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. Matt, are you sitting back watching the Sunday night game while you talk to me? I am, Jody. I'm sitting here writing my stack in the box column for tomorrow morning and uh, still in awe of Brandon Ayuk's ability to jump. I can't jump a quarter of that height. <laughs> well, in our case, it would be white men can't jump, so we got no shot. <laughs> but that was pretty damn spectacular. That was a pretty good in- indication of why San Francisco took him in the first round. Not so much the run, but just the, the measurables. When you're that big, you can jump that high, run that fast. If you've got any hands at all and you can run a route, you're at least going to be a pretty good player in the NFL. That was pretty darn exciting, and it's a close game early under the first quarter. Eagles up 8-7. Another exciting game today was the Browns and the Cowboys. Is the Browns offense this good, or is the Cowboy offense this bad? Like usual with questions like this, kind of a combination, right? I mean, the, right. the Browns were interesting in the sense that Baker Mayfield did not throw for a lot of yards. I believe he threw for like a buck sixty-five. Wasn't anything spectacular, but it doesn't matter when you rush for over three hundred. Uh, you know, Beckham scores on two of the more non-conventional plays you'll ever see. Landry had maybe the best throw of the day. Yeah, touchdown pass to Beckham, and then you know, late in the game, he runs that end around fifty yards and and is able to get in the end zone. But the Browns offense, they got a lot of playmakers, especially if Nick Chubb is able to come back from that knee injury. Obviously, we don't know yet. They've got guys all over the field. I'd argue the Cleveland's weapons are as good as any in the league, uh, maybe outside of Kansas City. So the offense is good, but Dallas is atrocious. I mean, that is, uh, to put it mildly, 49 points at home. Even in the game they won against Atlanta, they gave up 39. I believe it was, what, 38 to Seattle. And Seattle's a great offense, but... The Cowboys are not competitive. I mean, defensively, they, they can't even force a third and long, it feels like. They, they have no shot at getting off the field. So the only saving grace for them is they play in a division that it feels like seven wins is going to win it going away. Oh, I'm, I put this out on Twitter before tonight's game against San Francisco. If the Eagles find a way to win tonight, which, by the way, they're up to 87 after the first uh, period, they move into sole possession of first place. <laughs> At yep. one, two, and one. How sad is that? I know I say it kiddingly, but it's not all that far off from being stone cold true. It's the NFC least. It's incredible how bad the division is because it's not just, you know, we see this sometimes, you know, divisions maybe are weak to begin with and they play a tough schedule early. You'll know, have a team that through three weeks is in sole possession at one and two or something like that. When you look at the NFC East, 
Washington and the Giants are awful. Those teams, those teams are lucky if they win six games combined. They're just, they're nowhere near competitive against good teams. And the problem the NFC East has, they play the NFC West and they play the AFC North. I mean, those are divisions where there's not a lot of weak sisters right. waiting for them in those divisions. I mean, Cincinnati is about the only easy mark of those eight teams. So thankfully for, for all those teams, they get to play each other a bunch of times. But it is going to be an uphill battle. In Philadelphia, a million injuries. Wentz looks terrible. And Dallas, we just talked about, but defensively, they're, they're a disaster. The only thing you hang your hat on if you're a Cowboys fan, they're minus seven in the turnover differential. That stuff has a tendency to somewhat even out. And if it does with the way they score, that might at least be enough of an elixir for Dallas to get to you know, 500 or something like that. Another entertaining game that I watched a bunch of today was a matchup between two quarterbacks who both look great. One's as old as Methuselah, and the other one is as <laughs> wet behind the ear as you can get. That was the Herbert-Brady matchup today that uh, old man Tom got the slightly the better of with his five touchdown passes. But Herbert hung in there and went mano a mano with him. Who are you more impressed by today, the young guy or the old guy? The young guy. And, and I know that Brady threw five touchdowns off of the pick six, and he was terrific. Don't get me wrong. But the Buccaneers are a really hard team to face for a young quarterback because Todd Bowles, while he's not a great head coach, is an excellent defensive coordinator. And he brings a lot of unique, exotic blitzes. And I watched that game as well. I watched the whole game live. You see a ton of blitzes out of Bowles against Herbert that I expected, frankly, especially without Belaga and Trey Turner in there. I thought they would really cause a lot of problems for Herbert. And Herbert threw the pick late. But other than that, 20 and 25, I believe it's like 280, three touchdowns. And two of the touchdowns were gorgeous, gorgeous deep balls right in the face of pressure. You know, to me, the young quarterback that can throw the ball in the face of the rush, that's the guy that I have the strongest conviction is going to be a good player. And Herbert has done that time and again. I, I was very impressed. I know the Chargers lost. The Chargers fan, that's a tough pill to swallow, 24-7, to you blow that game. But Herbert really, to me, looks like he's going to be the real deal for them. Tell me if you agree with this Herbert observation. And I like the kid a lot at Oregon, and uh, one of the reasons why I would stay up past midnight to watch college football on a Saturday night was to watch him play. I, I don't know if it was because he was in the Oregon, whatever color of green they're throwing uh, these days out there in Oregon, or the fact that he was in the Charger powder blue. But the first time I saw him play, he looked just like Philip Rivers to me, that they're both slingers. Neither one cocks it and throws it off the air, the howitzer uh, coming at you with speed. But they both have that good, accurate kind of slinging motion, get the ball out real fast, right on the guy's hands, let him run and make a play. I hadn't realized until I saw him in a Charger uniform, damn, this is Philip Rivers reincarnate for the Chargers. If they get the same 15 years out of Rivers, uh, out of Herbert that they got out of Rivers, they're going to be okay with that? I think they would be okay with that. And, yeah, I do think there are some similarities. I agree with your assessment that he is kind of a – a slinger. I think that's a good term. Um, I, I think the biggest difference between Herbert and Rivers, and you know, we're talking about a guy three starts into his career, but Herbert has it has more mobility, obviously. I mean, that is one thing. That he's right, Rivers, but and let, let, let me interrupt you, because the same guy, uh, one of my other experts I had on last week said the same exact thing. We are thinking of Philip Rivers today 
And now he's a 38-year-old guy who's just kind of a statue in the pocket. Rivers yeah. could actually move a little bit when he was a rookie. I don't know if he could turn it up to field and go like Herbert does and get 20 yards. But yeah. Phillip wasn't a, uh, a stay-at-home guy when he showed up in the NFL. If you compare their first year to their first year, I think they uh, you'd say they're more similar than comparing the today Phillip Rivers to the today Justin Herbert. Yeah, I, I never thought of, of Rivers as a guy who really was going to get out of the pocket and make a play. But I, that being said, um, look, I, I think if you're a Chargers fan, you would absolutely take the, the same career that Rivers had. I mean, maybe you'd like him to be a little lighter on the turnovers at times, but that's part of Rivers. You can't take that out of him or you take away the playmaking ability. And with Herbert, there have been a lot of similarities even early on. I mean, Herbert has made some bad throws. He made one against Kansas City. He turned the game around. He made one against the Panthers. He made one at the end of the game against Tampa today. I mean, that's to be expected. I mean, he's, he's a rookie. He's facing, you know, in a couple of those cases, really good defenses. Um, but I think overall, the one thing that Herbert does give him is, is a mobility that you need in today's game. You need to be not even so much rushing for a lot of yardage, but just to get out of the pocket. To, to be able to throw from a lot of different platforms. And that's something that you have seen out of him. And I think it's going to really serve him well. He plays on Monday night next week against the Saints. We'll see him again on national TV. I'm curious to see how he does in that spot. That's a good game. Matt Bertram from uh, Fansided, their NFL insider, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. The Houston Texans are 0-4. I picked them to win that division. Knew it was going to be a tough division, but I thought uh, they could maybe pull it out via tiebreakers and the like. And I think they've got the best quarterback in the division, and that's why I picked them. They're 0-4 on merit, too. They have not played well. They played a very tough schedule, understood. But today was a game they had to win. They needed to win. And they lay an egg against a winless Viking team. What's wrong in Houston? Uh, Bill O'Brien is, is wrong. Now, that, okay. that's the overarching answer. You can get into a lot of different little offshoots of that. But they have not managed that roster well over the last couple of years. I don't think there's any arguing that. You know, they trade DeAndre Hopkins. We don't have to go over that whole thing. But David Johnson can't play anymore. He just can't. He's, he's, he's a running back who can't move. Uh, you know, They went out and got Brandon Cooks. Cooks is, is a very nice player when he's healthy, but a lot of times he's banged up. Uh, defensively, they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. And they did nothing to upgrade that unit. Absolutely nothing. Minnesota has been atrocious offensively this year outside of Justin Jefferson. And yet Minnesota went out to 31 points today like it was nothing. Um, it, it has been a constant struggle for them. And Watson is an excellent quarterback to me. He's a top five, top seven quarterback at worst in this league. But some of it also falls on him. There are times in the pocket where he does have time and he holds on to the ball. Uh, you know, and, and that's something against a lot of defenses with their offensive line that's going to get them killed. And we've seen that early on in the year. So my overarching problem is O'Brien, who I just don't think they're ever going to have sustained success with, uh, both for his roster building and his in-game decisions. But they've just got a lot of issues across that, that team personnel-wise. They are not going to get off the field very often. And when they're behind with that line, he's going to get pressured a lot, and therefore you're going to see some mistakes. Don't know if you saw the quotes after the game from the Bears and the Colts today from uh, Matt Nagy, the Bears head coach. I did not. So if you do, if you did, please share. If not, uh, speculate along. Nick Foles got an oh-by-the-way touchdown today to cut the game to an eight-point deficit 
but he had yep. scored three points in the first 58 minutes of the game. Trubisky went 2-0, struggled the first half. Foles came off the bench, rallied and won it for them last week, but then he throws a uh, pretty bad game today. Has Matt Nackey already said, and if he hasn't, who do you speculate will be his starting quarterback for week number five? I haven't seen. Now, they play Thursday night against Tampa at Soldier Field, so quick turnaround for them. I expect it to be Foles. I think it'll be Foles again because Trubisky's no better than Foles is. Yeah, I know they, they went 3-0 and with him as a starter. I understand that. But I watched every snap of all their games. Trubisky was terrible outside of about 10 minutes in Detroit and the first half against the Giants, who are maybe on their way to winning two or three games. Um, now, Foles was awful. Like, it's Indianapolis. Foles is absolutely brutal. Uh, and his stats look a lot better because, like you said, at the end, he gets the touchdown. He got some garbage time yardage. The problem for the Bears is they have no quarterback. I, I don't care who they start. They're going to have to win games literally in the 17-14 range, hope their defense can maybe get them some good field position. They bungled this so bad. I'm actually writing about it in my column this week. I don't understand how Ryan Pace looked at this in the offseason and obviously knew he needed a quarterback and went and traded for falls and didn't kick the tires on a Cam Newton, didn't kick the tires on a Jameis Winston or an Andy Dalton. Look, I'm not a huge Winston guy. I'm not a huge Dalton guy. Those two are Montana compared to the two guys in Chicago right now. I, I just don't get it, and I think it's going to be something that they're undoing in what is a division that is dominated by Green Bay and a pretty deep conference all around them. Fair enough. Um, the drums are going to beat even louder in Atlanta if the Falcons get handled by the Packers. I'm fielding calls. How is the Jets' co- head coach still in place? How is he not fired? How is bad teams coaching going to be handled in 2020 during the pandemic. Are we going to see any in-season changes? Will it wait till the very end of the season just so they can get a jump on hiring the next coach from outside the organization? How do you think it's going to play? Well, last year, everybody thought Arthur Blank was going to move on from Dan Quinn when they were one and seven midway through the year. And he didn't do it. They ended up finishing strong. Now, I don't know that any kind of a strong finish is going to matter for the Falcons unless it ends up with them in the playoffs. Uh, I, I think Quinn's gone regardless. But Arthur Blank has shown a lot of restraint in the past. I think they will play out the season with Quinn unless this thing just spirals to the point where, you know, 0-7, 0-8, something like that. With the Jets, if they don't fire Adam Gase after the loss they had against Denver with a long break ahead of them, I don't know that Gates is going anywhere. Else. This is only his second year, as much as it feels, I'm sure, for Jet fans, like it's his 22nd year. <laughs> um, I don't think he goes anywhere, at least until the bye. I believe they're by week 10, week 11. Maybe at that point you make a change. Because you're right, the pandemic does matter. right? You, you're not going to bring in anybody from the outside. It's always going to be the interim, which it typically is anyway for an in-season move. But, but the pandemic complicates matters even further. Um, you know, the Jets, maybe they go to Greg Williams, although after the showing the Jets had on Thursday night, I, I think they'd be hesitant to do that. I think most of these guys, it's, it's probably going to be after the season. I mean, Patricia's another one I, I put in the same boat. They have new ownership. I would think he's, he may be the first one to go because of that. Um, but it's, it's shaping up to be a long year for teams like Atlanta and the Jets and the Lions and so forth. Understood. All right, and one last question, staying in the pandemic lane. 
uh, had some issues this week. Had to push a game back to week seven because of positive tests with Tennessee. Uh, they dodged a bullet with uh, Cam and the Patriots in it. He was the only one who tested positive, so they only are pushing that game back one day. Uh, there was a little scare with the Saints that they had a player who tested positive and may have gotten on the plane with them to go to their game in Detroit today, but it turned out to be a false positive. How has the NFL handled the p- pandemic in your eyes? How would you grade them? To this point, I'd, I'd give them a B plus, A minus. I think they've done a really nice job. Now, the Titans thing is the first real serious test to what they've done. We're in the fourth week of the season. Um, the NFL is fortunate that it was able to reschedule that game without too much interruption. Obviously, you know, early buys for those teams, Titans and the Steelers, but um, they were able to, to push it for a few weeks, and it doesn't, it doesn't completely alter the fabric of the schedule. Uh, if, if the Pats and Chiefs weren't able to play on Monday night, that would have been a, a bigger deal. It would have been a lot harder to move those games around. But I think the NFL, by and large, has done well. Look, no matter how well the NFL does, unless they went to a hard bubble like the NBA or the NHL, which I think is unreasonable uh, considering just the amount of, of people that you'd have to do that with for each NFL team, um, I, I think they've done a really good job. People do have to accept there are going to be – situations that crop up during the year. I do believe that at some point the NFL is going to have to adjust a little bit and maybe add a week 18. Uh, you know, maybe build in a week down the stretch here where you know, they say, okay, look, everybody's going to be off this week, uh, you know, but, it, but we're building it in for games that get canceled or, or postponed or whatnot. I think something like that's probably going to happen. But i got to say, if that's all that happens adjustment-wise in the NFL, that's how it ends up going, I think it's a huge win for the NFL. They'd have to be thrilled. Uh, if, if that's all that ends up happening to a season that a lot of people months ago didn't even know if they'd get off the ground. Matt, great stuff. Appreciate it. Whenever you come on, especially appreciate it tonight. Let you get back to watching Sunday Night Football. Thanks, bud. Thanks a lot, Joey. Take care. You'll be posting his stuff on fansided.com, NFL reporter, insider Matt Verderam. Doing a good job with us here on CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.